Hey everyone, welcome back. And if this is your first time joining us, then welcome to Forget the Funnel. We recently sat down with Heaton Shaw. You may know Heaton from one of the many SaaS companies he's founded over the years, including Crazy Egg, Kissmetrics, and most recently, FYI. Throughout the process of launching FYI, from first conceiving the idea, through publicly launching the product, and now running a team of 16, Heaton and his co-founder Marie have been very transparent about their process of conducting audience and user research to inform product development and go-to-market strategy. Naturally, as advocates of customer-led growth, Claire and I were eager to sit down with Heaton and discuss their process. This interview with Heaton covers a ton of ground, starting with the two products he and Marie launched and shut down that led them to discover real pain finally worth solving with FYI. That's when the conversation really gets interesting because we then dive into details, including how the team segments FYI customers at the individual and team level, how they gather data and learn from customers in the background, how they centralize their research data and make it easy to access the nuggets of insight, and how customer insights are communicated to their designers and engineers and brought to market as new features. So let's jump into the interview. If you have any questions or comments you'd like to discuss, we would love to hear from you. You can find us on Twitter or email us anytime at us at forgetthefunnel.com. All right, so Heaton, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, first off, really excited to be chatting with you. Um, and I, Probably, I think the, the easiest place to start is probably at the beginning of your journey of working on uh, FYI. So from that, like from the start of that journey, um, you and your co-founder Marie, uh, I know have been very public about relying on audience and, and customer research to validate the opportunity for the product and, and build excitement around it um, and then launch to a really eager market. So I'd be really curious uh, if you're able to, um, to hear any examples of what you did differently in this process as compared to you know conceptualizing and, and launching previous products because of course we know this is not like your first product to market yeah um uh, well first thanks for having me uh the the short answer to the question which i will give is basically i think that as time has gone on since i first started on the internet in 2003 people have become more and more picky about the software that they decide to use. And I say use specifically, I think it's definitely a landscape right now in software specifically where people are willing to sign up for products pretty easily, pretty quickly. The barrier to entry on that, uh, someone signing up is pretty low. We don't need to go for demos in most products or we have, even if we have to sign up for a demo, we have you know, lots of videos, lots of reviews to look at, lots of things that we can actually go explore as buyers. Uh, or users, whatever way you want to call it. I prefer customers, so let's just say customers. Um, and and so when you, when you think about it like that, the when we started FYI a couple of years ago, uh, Marie and I really thought through like, okay, we have an ability to. I mean, one, we value this stuff, and by me by this stuff meaning like we value the idea of getting things right before you write a single line of code. And and I feel a little dated saying that because you know I haven't heard it said in a while but I used to say it all the time before so I feel like it's kind of either it's a norm or people forgot it I mean it goes either way right um, and so what we decided to do was we we had uh, this audience that I actually started as my personal newsletter so one of the first things earliest things we did is we rebranded it and we called it product habits it used to be called SAS weekly and it was Heaton's newsletter and that was just something where I would send 10-ish links every week on a Monday and just show you the things that I was reading the, the week before and that I found interesting and tell you more about them. 
uh, and hopefully that helps you find find good stuff because uh, I happen to be good at finding good stuff. And so we took that list and then we converted it over to um, a uh, a brand called Product Habits with the idea that we are going to um, teach people product development by doing it ourselves. And in that process, we're going to hold ourselves accountable to an extremely high bar because if we have to teach people it while we're doing it and we share what we're doing, then we'll just be more likely to find something that's worthy of pursuing. That was the concept mm. of the idea. And early on, we decided to really, uh, after a couple failed attempts before we did that, we decided to basically double down on identifying um, the biggest problem in the market that we're going after. So the biggest challenge that people have. And mm -hmm. that's really what kicked off, that, that was the thought process behind it and what really kicked off what we started doing that I think you kind of watched us do a couple years ago. Were there, um, to dig into that for just a minute, were there some other, uh, were there some, there, some other problems that you identified that seemed like potentially a good route to take? Um, I mean, obviously since then you have chosen the direction FY, of, of, of FYI, but you made a comment about failed products and I'm curious what other problem areas you noticed that maybe you had some interest in that, that didn't end up actually being that big of an opportunity. Yeah, so we had two ideas. One was um, we thought we might like uh, raise a fund and become uh, investors. I, I was already investing a bunch and uh, Marie and I were talking to a lot of startups and stuff and I, we both were in the, are in the Bay Area. And mm -hmm. so that helps obviously because this is like startup Mecca or whatever. Um, and so we were talking to a bunch of these companies and what we realized is we, we wanted to find the problem they had. And the biggest challenge that most founders have is actually fundraising. And it doesn't really matter what stage of business they're in. Typically, that's the problem. Even when a company goes public, fundraising is still a problem because you have the public markets, right? Things like that. And so we decided to build a product in that market. Um, what we missed out on when we went after that product, and I'll explain what it was, but is basically there's a few things that we got wrong. We got the pain right, which is they have a problem with fundraising. I don't think we dug in enough to understand that the problem was more so oriented around things like should they should their business be funded or not and that's a emotional psychological like those are those are things that software can't exactly touch maybe some assessment or quiz or even consulting mm -hmm. i don't think can solve that because it's like you know if somebody wants to raise money they want to raise money right like that's just what their mindset is and so we, we didn't get the psychology right we didn't really get get a lot of those things right in terms of understanding and going deeper down and really figuring out before we built the product what the what the deal was uh, with people and their behaviors. And so what the product that ended up being that failed was we let you upload your pitch deck and then gave you a way to let other people comment on it. And other people meaning advisors and folks like that. Um, we launched it actually, uh, well, we put it in early access. We, we helped uh, like somewhere in the range of a thousand plus people build their pitch decks whether with the tool or even us helping them because we wanted to get expert, be experts on pitch decks and fundraising and stuff like that. Um, we became experts on that, I guess. Uh, we, we built a whole, we even did workshops for a few incubators. I mean, we went like whole hog, so to speak, on like going after it. Uh, and then we realized that like, we really got the market size wrong. I think mm -hmm. the market, market size was the biggest problem. And, and what I mean by that is, yeah, there's all these problems around the behavior, the emotion, the psychology, but 
a lot of times those things can be solved for if the market's big enough, because there's some percentage of people that are a large enough audience that wouldn't have that problem, like wouldn't have that, oh, I should, you know, the psychological problem of I need, I want to raise money, even though the business I have isn't right. Um, and so uh, the market is just small. It's, it's not actually that large when it comes to fundraising uh, and providing a tool to help people get feedback on their pitch decks. Um, so that was one idea. And then I get in trouble for this one, but uh, we took that product thing and I said, hey, let's copy and paste it. And what that means is we, we took it, the code, and then we copied and pasted it, which really wasn't what, what happened, uh, and, <laughs> and built something else. And that something else had, um, I think we skipped a few steps there. And, and this is just, I, I think it's, it's one of the things I would point out, one of the biggest lessons over, over time for me is like, it's super easy to skip steps in the process of learning about customers and learning about what, how people behave and what they do. And so we skipped some steps because we were just, because I was, gonna, you know, I said copy and paste it, which never really works out apparently. Uh, and so we, we, we took the product and said, okay, well, there's this thing called SlideShare that exists and people are, you know, not happy with it. We did a little bit of research to figure out what they weren't happy about. Uh, and we thought we had an idea. And so we started building something and what we ended up building actually had a great product hunt launch uh, for a number of reasons and all that. Uh, and it ended up being this thing called draft send. So it was draftsend.com. And what it did is it let you upload a PDF. That's where the copy and paste part comes in, but here's where it gets um, kind of different. Uh, we, we let you record audio as you went through the PDF and then you got a player. The player wasn't a video player, but it looked like one. And it, it just moved through the slides as you were talking, but it looked like a video. Really cool. Um, <clears throat> it turns out that market's not big enough either. And, mm. and big enough meaning the, the thing I'm convinced about is either you go for a really, really big market size or you know the niche you're going after. And it's very narrow. Anything in the middle ends up being a slog of some kind that is tends not to be too worth it. Um, so with DraftSend, we, the barrier to people activating in the funnel and with the product was really high because you had to know what PDF you wanted to upload. It had to be something you needed to record right now. Then you had to sit there and record it. And then when you add complexities like audio and recording and uploading through with bandwidth and all this stuff, you end up with all these complexities that like, you know, would be fine if they were worth solving. Even at FYI, we have complexities. They're just worth solving, and we, we, we make sure they're worth solving. Uh, so those were the two failed products. Thanks for asking. It's always great to talk about failure. Uh, and, and then uh, I'll, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you real quick the transition. I'm sure you'll have some questions. But Definitely. Yeah. The, the transition came when we actually stepped back, did a bunch of uh, uh, this thing called like a relative preference survey on the DraftSend uh, customers. And mm -hmm. what we learned is that their number one sort of most painful challenge was actually organizing their PDFs, not what we were trying to do, which is let them upload them and share them and all that kind of stuff. And so as a result, we actually, that was the, the big aha moment of research that made us just step all the way back and say, okay, well, why don't we find out the number one challenge people have with uh, basically creating and sharing documents. And so we, we made a survey, sent that out to the list and you know i'd say the rest is history but you haven't heard the history so the rest is history. <laughs> <laughs> there's so much more history yeah. depending on how deeply you can go into it but that's right yeah. super interesting that 
the aha moment for FYI came from realizing that the market for draft send wasn't going to make sense. Yep. I find that fascinating. Um, I'd be curious then, well, from probably some assumptions, but um, I would definitely leave this to you, but from some assumptions, it sounds like that survey validated that the problem of creating and organizing docs was, was something that was, was it pretty obvious that like, oh, this is a way bigger problem? Yep. Survey results? Yeah, very obvious that like 80, 90, 95%, like some really high percentage of people said actually finding documents was their number one problem. And the challenge, even up to a couple years ago, wasn't as, was just becoming prevalent. And the reason for that is there's files on your desktop. There's files in every cloud service you use. I mean, I'm not just talking about the usual suspects like, you know, if you use G Suite, you have Google mm -hmm. Docs and you have Google Drive and you have all those things. But also you have Dropbox. That's still a usual, usual suspect. You have Box. You have OneDrive. Um, and you might just be using one of them. Totally fair. Except that you're likely using Microsoft or Google for email, and then you tack on something else. But here's where it gets interesting. Almost every tool you use in SaaS that's productivity oriented, whether it's Trello, Asana, Basecamp, or any of those, they let you upload stuff. They let you add an attachment. Uh, and that's not even counting all the links that you put in those tools to documents. And so that your ability to find them, and, and let's not even talk about email attachments, because then you have a whole set of documents and that's in the cloud too technically so it turns out that like the number one problem was related to the fact that now there's all these places where there are documents and files i can attest to that being someone who works across multiple <laughs> products um <laughs> a huge market too i'm sure right right um, I mean, we, we had people that said that we talked to that were planning their wedding and they had right. this problem all the way to people in like, you know, public companies that are like, oh, this problem. Right. So, yeah. Right. Super like horizontal. Yes. Um, in the breadth of use cases. Um, I want to jump like kind of forward in time for a second. Um, so you've, you shared some really, really interesting uh, like steps on, involved on the journey to, to prototyping or coming up with the idea for FYI. Um, and as someone who's been on the product habits list for quite a while, uh, I remember, you know, kind of watching it take shape and I remember the launch of it. Um, and I want to fast forward to today, actually, and understand a little bit about how you and the team continue to work on the product. Um, I'm super curious if there are any, um, you know, if there are any standard ways or, or ongoing ways that you and the team go about continuing to gather and pull insights from customers. Um, on a regular on a regular basis um, that you could talk a little bit about. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, to, to us, like all these things are input. So there's an uh, almost unlimited amount of inputs you can have about the customer, whether it's, uh, you know, I'll go to like an extreme and say, okay, when they sign up, we go ping Clearbit and go just find out more about whatever mm -hmm. we can that Clearbit has about them. Uh, that helps a ton with segmentation. We'll know their title. We'll know things about them without asking them. Uh, as long as they gave us their email, obviously. Uh, mm -hmm. And so that's like a, a, a input that most folks who are doing research don't think about. Uh, um, if, if you're just in marketing or just in product, you might think about it. But the, the holistic view of this customer is really important to us. And so mm -hmm. that, that's kind of one that, like I said, just doesn't get mentioned enough, in my opinion. 
but it helps a lot with segmentation and things like that. Uh, two is another obvious one, which is like basically obvious, but not as utilized as I, I, I hope people do in the future, uh, is so the quantitative side of it. So being able to know who did what, mm -hmm. uh, did they, how far they got, uh, but down to the who, and also down to the organization. So there's a organization view of data uh, where if you have a B2B product and it's focused on companies and multiple people in a company can use it, you wanna be able to see what everyone in the company is doing. And there might be certain milestones that are actually collective milestones, not necessarily for an individual. So it's basically like how many people, like a good example of that is how many people from this organization have signed up? You'd be surprised right. how many folks don't know that uh, mm -hmm. about their product. So we make sure that at least our database is instrumented, our analytics, if necessary, is instrumented in such a way where we can get down to companies, but also people, but also companies. Uh, and as much detail as we can get on like, what have they been doing? Uh, because that's really the start of a lot of um, our sort of, I would call it proactive research processes. Uh, because then we can be like, okay, how many, how many people fit this criteria that have signed up for FYI, but never, never performed a search? We're not just mm -hmm. a search product. We, we have an interface that helps you find documents, but mm -hmm. search is still a component of our product. So if we knew that, then we would ask people, why haven't you performed a search? Uh, and we can email them and just ask them with a single question. So the next strategy that I'm a really big fan of is asking or sending very short emails with a single question that people can reply to. We've found that that has the highest response rate compared to almost any other, well, basically any other strategy you can use. Um, mm -hmm. And then we actually take those, paste all the responses into a Google Doc, uh, and then go analyze it and go through that whole research sort of process. So these are a few examples, but like we, we do whatever we can. I mean, we're right now, we have, uh, right right now, we have a set of features for teams. And so we're just individually onboarding uh, people into it. Uh, even off of literally three or four onboardings when we first started, um, we have like a roadmap of like three, four improvements that we need to make. And, and, then, and then it's the debate of, do we just onboard more people now or do we wait till those improvements happen? Uh, and so if we keep onboarding people, we're probably gonna keep learning the same things. And they might not have as good of an experience as the people once we hit the new features. So in some ways we've paused on some aspects of that. Sometimes we'll pause uh, even on uh, research and things like that and go another route. Uh, there's another route that we went recently because of that, where we paused on the onboardings in order to get some of these improvements in as soon as possible because we think that the feedback will be different once we have those improvements because we base the improvements on feedback, right? Um, and so before we turn on onboarding again, we're going to go study certain types of teams inside of a company and, and the documents they use and what are they exposed to because uh, we believe that like uh, these um, collaborative solutions that are out there, a, a lot of them we connect to and growing, we connect to like 25 plus tools today. Um, they have, uh, it's, it's like a, a multiplayer mode that happens in these tools. And so mm -hmm. we want to understand more about how does that happen across documents? What type of documents are these teams creating? Um, how, how often are they creating them? What's the sort of urgency around some of the documents, someone reviewing them? So just getting really granular about behavior has been something that we didn't do in the past, like let's say 10, even 15 years ago, that I think is a necessity now. Mm -hmm. one, of that, one of those things is a learning from the, 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 the fundraising tool. It was called Dugo, D-O-G-O. -O. Um, 
And uh, the lesson from that was like, if we don't get deeper into the behavior of understanding exactly how people are doing things, what the frequency is, what the urgency is of some of those things, what the pain is, um, we end up basically losing out on learnings that might actually greatly impact our ability to execute and our ability to build a product that uh, people love. You mentioned um, early in your, in your answer segmentation and using Clearbit to help with segmentation. And what you're describing right now is like various, like how, how people are using the product. I'm wondering like, where do those two intersect? Do you, do you segment new signups based on use case? Do you base, do you segment them based on something else? Cause it sounded like teams became a really big focus for you. And so how right now are you like breaking your customers up into, into groups? And do you do that based on like company size or is it use case? Like which, which ways are you slicing yeah. and dicing this? I think a lot of it has to do with um, the product you're creating. So for us, the product we're creating, the natural obvious way it will spread inside an organization is within a team first before it goes in between teams. And right. then hopefully over time before it goes in between companies. And so when, because documents go all those ways, they're also very personal. So there's personal right. documents, there's documents that you've shared with your team, uh, some people or all the people, then there's documents you share with folks outside your team, some people or a whole company in some cases, or another whole team, like all sales assets that marketing creates tend to be shared with every salesperson, right? Um, so the, 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 the way we think about it at our company today is team by team uh, mm -hmm. and, and, and really like marketing teams, product teams, sales teams, finance teams, leadership team is another team that we would call a team because they have the same behavior, right? So we've just been studying those behaviors. And a lot of times, like what we'll also do is go look at the tools that the, these teams are already using that are, in our case, collaborative. Because that's, that's, collaboration is really like what we're focused on now uh, with our product, which is like helping people collaborate better, helping them find stuff better, helping them share it, helping them um, see what's happening at work. Those are the kind of things that we heard from people who are using our product that they want more of from us and that our product already was kind of doing for them. And so you could say that like someone comes in and they have a use case, or you could say, and, and that's reasonable, but without having the lens for us of what team they're on, we're mm -hmm. not necessarily able to as uh, appropriately service them. And we don't ask them this uh, uh, right now in the, in the, on the website. Our onboarding is very, uh, um, I, I just heard a compliment about it yesterday where the, the person was telling, he has multiple teams, apparently multiple products. He's telling them to copy our onboarding or make it that good. So that's fine, but I still think it sucks like I should. Um, but like, we don't do anything like ask you what team you're on or what use cases you have. We don't do any of that yet. One of the reasons is with a horizontal product, when you do that, if you miss a use case or yeah. you miss, miss a team, then people bounce. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and we happen to have a product where we connect to a bunch of tools and then your information is visible to you right away. So within onboarding, you're able to see as much of your stuff as we can pull up for you in our interface. And so keeping it horizontal is important. But then to your question about segmentation, the segmentation for us today happens more uh, behind the scenes when we're doing research. Like what type of teams, what type of titles or groups of people from marketing, sales, product, finance, whatever, have the highest retention with our product? Mm -hmm. And why do they have that retention? Why is retention so high? 
So part of it is having hypotheses on why the retention is so high if it is, or why it's so low if it is. Um, for example, I was surprised that um, you know certain types of teams just didn't have the highest the retention that I thought they would. Well, it turns out that those teams are starting to use more specialized apps, and we don't connect to those apps today. So if mm. we don't connect to enough mm. of the surface area of, of of where your stuff lives, then obviously you're not going to be as retained as a team mm. as a certain type of person in the company. So these kind of insights we wouldn't have gotten if we weren't segmenting using Clearbit to start. Because we don't ask these people, are they a marketer or whatever? And I find it interesting because I just signed up for a new Airtable account the other day and they're asking me a lot of questions on onboarding. A lot meaning like four or five. Mm -hmm. and, and it's cool, all of them have emoji, the drop downs, and like they're very cute. But like they asked me like four or five questions. They even asked me my company size. I don't have a problem with that. I don't think it's a bad or a good idea. I'm sure there's a reason they do that. I just find it fascinating that like companies do that. Um, and, and not because I think they should have the info or anything. It's just like, it, it, you wouldn't have thought of doing that 10 years ago. Let's put it that way. And that just goes to the point of why understanding segments, understanding if it's use cases, great. Like understanding use cases, super important. For example, I'll bet with a product like Basecamp, or a product like even Asana possibly, but probably more like Basecamp, the use cases are more important than the teams. Like, are you trying to use Basecamp with your clients? Or right. Are you trying to use Basecamp with your own company? And based right. on that, they don't do anything in the product for me necessarily, but now they know. I was going to say, 10 years ago, marketers probably would have done that, but they totally. would have done it only to get somebody to be considered like marketing qualified or something yeah. and like for yeah. a list, but had right. have nothing to do with actually activating within the product. As That's opposed right. to with Typeform, or sorry, you didn't say Typeform, you said um, Airtable. Airtable, yeah. Like you would expect, okay, now they're going to cater my onboarding in some way, shape, or form. Did they? I, I recently also onboarded into Airtable, and I don't remember. They uh, dropped me on a screen that had uh, a bunch of bases already there that were okay. temp templates. And they okay, call them okay. bases, but they're sheets or whatever. Okay, because they probably identified. They, they, they did do it. They, they did do it. But yeah. there was a lot, and they didn't do anything else after that. Right. Um, but I'm hypercritical. So, yeah, <laughs> you know, I think they and did a good job. Might, <laughs> it might be enough for them, yeah. right? Like their That's biggest right. barrier might've been like the overwhelm That's of right. the blank screen and like just right. get them the basics of what they need and it'll all make sense. Maybe it, maybe it actually has done its job, but. That's right. I, I'm curious how early in the process of, um, of like onboarding new users into FYI, like, I'm curious how early you realized that the need to group users by team became like an obvious necessity because this was a while ago, but I was working with a company at one point um, where like the style of adoption was really, really similar. It's individual usage and then it typically expands within a team. Um, and then like if things go well, then it expands to another team and another team and another team. Um, and in the early stages of this project, uh, a major issue that we had was that the way that user data had been set up, there was no way there was no way on the back end of the product to um, to link users who were part of it a part of the same team, um, which creates all kinds of issues. Um, and really, so really, <laughs> you're right, right. And then your hands are tied in terms of communication, monetization. Like there's so much to, to that, that creates so many issues down the line. I'm curious at what point you and the team realize like, oh, this is a big deal. We better make sure we have this right, like from here on out. 
Um, we, we got a little lucky with that because we don't let you sign up with an email address. You have to sign up with, mm -hmm. by signing up with Google. Okay. And, and now we have Microsoft and we have Slack sign up and, and all that. Um, but because of that, we're keying in on the domain itself. Right. And we focus on that. Also, because of the way our product works, we, we tend, the system knows who you collaborate with um, and what documents they have access to that you also have either created or have access to. So we, we had to, uh, we got lucky because we were forced to build those things into the product itself right. because of what the product is. A lot of other companies don't have that. Like at Draftsyn, we didn't do that. We didn't right. build that in. So if we were to go down that route, we would have had to figure out how to build that in. And um, I, you know, in some ways I wanna say some people make it really complicated because um, a simple way to start would be you just look at what the domain is of the person and you get about 80% coverage that way um, mm -hmm. because most of the other things are edge cases or personal accounts. It's, yeah, it is very uh, fortuitous that like the nature of FYI kind of forces that. That's right. <laughs> you yeah. win. Um, you made a comment that with regard to some of the methods that are very effective um, for collecting customer data, like sending a one question email, for example, um, a lot of the work of then like documenting that is, is things as simple as like putting the answers into a Google doc. Um, and I'm curious, so I know that with teams I've worked with, this becomes a problem all the time. Um, I think you may have even written about it at some time, some points in the past, if I recall correctly. Um, do you have any, any way, whether it's well thought out or whether it's just, a, you know, like a scrappy solution for now, like, do you have any way for the team to, um, to like consolidate or, um, like keep in, in one place, all of that customer insight, or is it still pretty spread throughout the organization at this point? We used to have a shit ton of, uh, Google sheets. Mm -hmm. and Google Docs and then I created one day because again I'm good at finding stuff so and FYI is supposed to help you with that yes I know <laughs> I found all the research we did and put it in what I called a catalog and the catalog was just a Google Doc and that was before some of the FYI features now we put it in FYI uh, in a bunch of ways but um, so we did that and that made it easier to like just know that this is all the research we've done and then I categorized it a little bit so I, I think that's the classic solution. Um, <clears throat> and that means that every time we create, do some research, whether it's um, a survey that goes straight into a type form or from a type form to a Google sheet, uh, and then we do an analysis and there's a document related to it, we end up with like three or four documents. And um, so what we decided to do is we recently created an Airtable base. We're big fans of Airtable now um, because of the connect connectivity between the different sheets that they mm -hmm. have there. So an example would be, this one has um, customer, we call it sessions for what the actual individual like call or survey result or whatever it was, was. So those are sessions. Um, then there's nuggets. Nuggets are basically insights from it. So like when we, after we analyze, we put them in there. And then we have what we call studies. And studies are basically each like thing, whether it's a, uh, onboarding that we're doing right now, early access onboarding, our first batch, or the feedback form from our, um, we have a feedback form in the app, or our Drift, because we use Drift, uh, or we got on a demo call, or even Twitter. 
And so those are studies. And really those are like equivalent of like inputs or channels where we get feedback from or, or things that we're deliberately doing proactively like studies. Mm -hmm. um, and then <clears throat> all this stuff is connected together in Airtable and it makes it really easy to be able to see uh, the data in all kinds of different ways. So, <clears throat> excuse me, um, that's uh, what, we, what we've decided to do. It's been tremendously helpful because now every time we have a new study, it just goes in there. And then mm -hmm. if there's a link to like the planning or process, there's just a document that is, that's linked and then the documents are there. So we, we felt like we wanted to create a process that was for us instead of a process that is dictated by a tool. Because we know there's a bunch of tools out there now that right. supposedly help you do this. And I say supposedly because the typical model is you take a spreadsheet and then you turn it into a SaaS product, right? And uh, that's cool, but then I gotta buy into the structure in your spreadsheet in order to like your SaaS product, but I don't know what spreadsheet you use. Then I look at your SaaS product, I'm like, holy crap, that's not how I wanna do it. And then now I build a SaaS product to solve that same problem, and that's <laughs> how we have so much SaaS. But uh, Airtable has definitely helped cut that crap out because you know these <clears throat> items link together so in the customer base, there is an ability to choose which um, study it was. Mm -hmm. And it's just like a drop down and we can just pick what study was it. And then all of a sudden, like it's just connected to the other table and things get populated and they start working. It's not hard stuff to set up, right? This is so fascinating to me because I actually, I, I recorded yesterday a note to self about like how to organize this stuff for us, Claire, <laughs> FYI. Real quick, yeah. Real quick, uh, Zapier has a great—I um, uh, don't know what they call it—but a, a Zapier has a great one for their user research studies that okay. I would just—I would just copy mm, and then great. go modify. It is amazing. Anyway, please continue. Uh, well, no, I was just thinking that the, the I think sort of maybe synonymous with your study would be um, the lens that I tend to go towards, which is like which like milestone in the customer experience are we solving for? So similar how you would have said like, we're doing a study regarding onboarding, then like I would put that under the category of, you know, whatever the stage for the, the first or the second stage of like evaluation um, and any learning or uh, insight. I like how they're all like individual responses. That's probably, it, I can't imagine the size of that document. It must be huge. Um, but I find that like that, that's a really interesting lens, the study, like what we were, a very specific thing we were solving for. And I think one additional lens that like, I would probably add would be like customer, like customer experience stage, whatever stage of the customer experience that. that we're solving for. And also that's because, and the reason for that, like, and the, or the reason why it also gets a bit complicated in my mind, which is why I haven't like fully fleshed this out yet, is that a lot of times in a study, you'll learn stuff about multiple stages because depending on what you're asking or if it's a, an interview and like you get just like nuggets, so to speak, from, from different sort of stages of the customer experience that you could potentially solve for either now or later, they're just like to knowing where to house that stuff for when you need it. Um, yeah, just in, in my mind, like slicing it by where it is most applicable to helping the customer achieve value is like the lens that I would sort of apply to it. But I like study because it's very similar, just with the slightly different, it's more like goal oriented. It's amazing. And, and we're actually really excited to like continue using this method. 
Cool. Um, we'll track yeah. that down and make sure we include it in the awesome the show notes for sure. Sweet. I would love um, to ask about team um, and what the makeup of the team is, and you know, who are the ones like conducting their research and responsible for the projects? Who are the ones who are on the receiving end that implement? Like, what does it look like inside the team? I don't know much about the structure of, of the FYI team. So that's what I'm curious to dig into, which yeah, is in line with the next question anyway. I don't know much about the structure either. Uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Um, uh, uh, my, my personal thesis and, and, uh, some folks on my team are forced to share this uh, thesis, <laughs> unfortunately, uh, is uh, more people, more problems. Mm. And so, and so I, I even did a tweet yesterday that, that was interesting, which was like, you know, um, it just popped in my head, but it's like, most people think of growing a business uh, and they think of, uh, this wasn't a tweet, but this was my idea, but like, think of like hiring people. So growth equals hiring. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I think like, so I'll, I'll start there, but wh- where I'll go real quickly is, um, we have Marie and myself, uh, and then we have a third person who's uh, sort of like a growth product manager. That's the label we sort of gave him. Uh, mm-hmm. He's, he's um, relatively junior, but um, we wanted him to help us just think through a lot of the different things around growth for our business while also we build products. So he does things between marketing and product. Um, so there's three of us, and then mm-hmm. there's a designer. And then there's also another designer that we use sometimes because I've worked with him for 16 years. Uh, and he works on a bunch of stuff, but, we, but it just, yeah, that's, that's um, uh, a very special relationship I have. Uh, I, I value design really highly. And I also value the fact that we design things extremely fast with very few design resources on mm-hmm. purpose because the mm-hmm. one area that I've seen businesses blow out and then slow down besides engineering, which isn't really slow down if you're doing it right, it's actually design. I think that most companies have more designer than they need. That's just my opinion. Um, so, so it's literally four of us. The designer is pushing pixels, period. What I mean by that is he doesn't do research. Uh, he is, I would say, early to mid in his career as a designer, if you want to call it that. I mean, I've worked with a lot of designers, so, so I'm just giving kind of a perspective there. So what he's best at is rapid iteration mm-hmm. of ideas, um, usually not his ideas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm being specific about some of these people on purpose because I think you have to build the team based on the people you have until you can build a team based on the people you need. Mm-hmm. Those are two very different things. So the gentleman I've worked with for 16 years, I can give him a problem, very high level, in like half page briefs of design stuff and like it gets cranked out and I have a whole product if I want, right? Uh, all designed, all done, no questions asked. Like he's just on it. But like I've been working with him for a long time. He kind of knows how that flow works. And, and, and um, that's different than this designer who's, a, who's our head designer at FYI where we give him ideas. Like some of the best ways to work with him is actually like, we uh we've been doing this more once i once we figure this out but it's basically like we'll go learn something in research uh and we'll literally get on a hangout with him and he'll design right in front of us Hmm. and usually it's even like 70 80 percent to 90 percent polished and done and we can go user test it again or go do whatever the next step is and so for us everything being rapid is really important 
Marie, myself, and um, our, our uh, growth PM all do research. And, mm. and that's just the way we do it. Uh, and that's whatever research you want to talk about. It can be user testing. It can be interviews. It can be surveys. It can be um, competitor research, if you want to call it that, where you analyze. Like, we, we do that a lot. Like, we'll see something pop up or, or be like, oh, that, that old company, old whatever, has this feature. We didn't realize it. And then we go study the feature somehow, right? Whether right. it's mentions in competitor in review sites or whatever, because we just want to understand what the customers are dealing with. It's not mm -hmm. to look at the competitor. It's to look at, it's to understand mm -hmm. the customer better by looking at how, how they feel about those features that the competitors have. So mm -hmm. team's really small on that side. And outside of those, outside of us four, I'm trying to think. So that's designer, growth PM, and two of us founders. I, I, I've got a shit you not moment. So just give me a second. So I think everyone else, else is engineering. So everyone else writes code. And there's about 12, 13 people right now. We've done a bunch of hiring recently. Um, and and that, that's kind of the makeup. So all those folks, um, and I know you're probably going to ask this, so I'll just go after it. All those <laughs> folks uh, tend to get the information when we write tickets, when we write this specific thing that I haven't really shared before that we just came up with a few months ago, which is <clears throat> this idea that we have that we've been stumbling about on what to label it and how to do it. We used to call it something else uh, and we haven't shared more about this. I don't know if we will, but it's called step ones. And literally everything starts with a step one document. And that mm -hmm. document is about a page to two pages and it's what kicks off a discussion with engineering. It's the way we communicate about a new feature, iteration, whatever with engineering. And the reason we call it step one is it's too easy to have a spec that has step 50 in it, one all the way to 50. And we're like, wait, like that, that's great. We did a bunch of research. We learned a bunch of stuff. Now we have a whole feature in mind, but that feature, if you built all of it, you have an unknown amount of time that it's going to take. So all step ones we do have to be built within a week. Mm. Mm. That's it. That's like the way we think about it. So the step one concept plus the constraint of one week, those two things end up making, um, they end up being the asset that's created based on any research we do or any ideas we have. And that includes like prototypes or designs in those step ones of what the step one is. There's rarely a lot of designs in there of what step 20 is. There might be designs of what step two and three might be. But again, I say might because again, like you get the thing in front of customers and mm -hmm everything you thought usually goes to hell. Um, you know, it's like, go throw that shit away. There's all this other crap that really matters. And so when you do step ones, you allow yourself the room to figure out was step 10 supposed to be step two or was step, I don't know, 50 step two. Cause those are very different ways of thinking about what you need to do in order to produce something that really matters. And that really like sort of gets adoption, engagement, hits the mark with customers. Um, so that, that for us, like, I know you asked about team, we keep the team small, but it's really about the asset because that asset that we create is what leads to all the rest of sort of it mm -hmm. getting done. And without that, things don't get done. There's so many directions I want to go. <laughs> <laughs> One is like to engineering and like how, how you approach the, the 
step one like type projects and I another question I have is more on the like marketing and growth and awareness side of things just out of genuine curiosity but on the step one thing for a second and I am being conscious of time um do you use like a customer advisory board to put those through to do you or do you roll that out like how do you roll that out so so we we like feature flagging yeah go ahead what were you gonna say Claire Oh, no, I was, I was just going to chime in. Like, that was my exact question, too, is what is, what is bringing that to the customer actually look like? Awesome. Right? So yeah. jump in. Yeah, yeah, it totally, it totally depends on the feature. I think I consider user testing bringing it to customers, too. Yeah. So we might user test something that's live, or we might user test something that's prototyped if we're not confident in the step one. Because of step ones, though, we've actually reduced our reliance on user testing because the chunk is so small. Mm. whether it's a week or it's just something small that you could just almost feel really good about because it's literally not word for word what the customer said because you don't do that but it's word for word aligned with the solution based on what the customer said um and so anyway so the, the way we we roll it out is we feature flag things we we will first let ourselves use it so there's an internal release then there's an early access release which is feature flag and then, and then there's the sort of um, uh, in the wild, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And, and those three are gated and they have some milestones that we pick. So uh, internal release should happen very fast and iteratively before the thing needs to be, uh, before the end of the week, let's say. Let's say you start on Monday, weekends on Friday, Wednesday, Thursday, maybe Friday morning, we're looking at it internally. Um, usually because it's step one and it's really scoped and like, our engineering, which I can talk about, is, is very planful. The word for our engineering is planful. Um, we end up basically doing the internal release, QAing it, if you want to call it that. I don't even know what QAing is anymore, but totally other topic. Uh, <laughs> and, 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 then, and then we ship it to customers if it's good. And if not, there's a bunch of cycles of iteration. But I can't stress this enough. Because it's such a small chunk, there's really not as much back and forth the second it hits an internal release before it, it can be feature flagged for customers. We have a channel right now called onboarding in Slack. And every time we release the new features for teams or not release, every time we want someone to have it, we don't even have an admin or anything. We literally ping in that channel, hey, we'd like this domain to have access to the team features. And some engineer goes and just takes care of it. Usually our CTO, cause he's the one with the most time supposedly. Uh, when he's not recruiting or whatever he's doing, uh, sleeping, I don't know. Uh, uh, he, he goes and feature flags it for them. And the feature flag is just an internal database flag, not anything fancy. And, and we plan on doing that with you know, everything we kind of release. Um, mm-hmm. The same feature flag exists for a component, a different feature flag exists for a component of the team's feature that not every company should have, et cetera. When I hear you describing things this way, I'm then, I'm then left, like, I guess it's because the team is small enough still that you can sort of keep very close to all these things that happen. But I can imagine that this type of process, add 10 more people, 20 more people, 30 more people, this will get very, it could get unruly quite quickly if there isn't a very clear, um, I'll say guidelines, even though I know that's kind of a, a you know, too loose, but you know, a vision for each of these things. Now you mentioned a Slack channel dedicated to onboarding. So there is an understanding by everybody that's in that Slack channel of the, like what end onboarding 
is, what it should look like, who that customer is, what the needs are. There's a, it's a, the confines of that. So I was actually wondering like operationalizing um, not only the customer research, but then what comes out of it, which is I believe what you're describing. I hear like Slack channel, I hear Airtable, I hear Slack channel, I hear like process around like, you know, a, a very, very simple step one. Um, and I, I'm just wondering like, does that, you've kept very small, which I think by the way, super, super commendable. And like, I'm all on these stay as small as possible for as long as you can, uh, like bandwagon. Um, but as you begin to to add people like does that do those guidelines or that vision does that live in your head right now like you and Marie's head uh, or do you have like a process or is that documented like what does that part look like so zooming out a bit I guess yeah um, we I mean we're a fully remote team I've said before many times that like I think you need double the process and documentation for half the size or whatever whatever way you want to look at it so if you're 10 people uh, you need the process and documentation of like 20, right? So we, we need, we're probably doing things as if we're like 30 people-ish okay. um, and maybe 50 knowing us. Uh, and so lots of stuff is documented. Um, I think even the, the beauty of something like Airtable, it's like, it's very clear when you look at it of what's going on in it. I don't know why Google Sheets and those other products are not as clear. And I'm not usually a fan person of anything but I do like Airtable. Uh, and so I feel very confident that someone can come in as we scale, look at it and understand it based mm -hmm. on the different views we've created. And we would create a process document when the time was right. We have done these before and they've become obsolete really fast because we iterate the process more than most people. Like even the step one concept, like I tr we tried other things. We had a, we called them a feature discussion document. That didn't work. That was a dumb name. <laughs> Um, it didn't really align with like what we needed to do. It, that was the asset to talk to engineering for the first time about something. Now right. it's a step one. Everyone right. understands that terminology. So it's like some people call it internal marketing, but like really the words and what you call things matter. So like even, even now we just, I just came up with, oh, this call is a step one. Great. Okay. Right. But like my point is like the, the, the iteration happens so fast sometimes or so like uh, at, at, a, at a cadence that like, we would do just-in-time process for some of that stuff. Um, some of those problems we get, we, we get solved with uh, certain types of onboarding things, which even FYI is over time going to be designed to help us with and help our customers with as well. So for us, I think the, the way we treat this is, one, we're waiting for FYI, FYI to have a few features because uh, we think that'll make our lives easier. But if we were to do it some other way, we would create a document and the document would have a bunch of links. And then obviously they would go stale and all that kind of crap, but like, mm -hmm. that's a whole different story. Um, so just in time, just in time documenting a pro's processes as we scale this side of the company would probably happen. But when you say 10 and we're like, let's say three right now, cause the designer doesn't really count in the research. Mm -hmm. We're not getting to 10 anytime soon. Right. Like all we're hiring is engineers. We're not like part of it is like Marie and I will do all the marketing, all the product, all the mm -hmm. sales, whatever needs to happen for growth with very little assistance uh, outside of the people, like the, the, the one or two people on the team. Uh, I honestly, I, I do want to like, I do want to use this as a jumping off point for a potential part two, because there's so much, cool. so much more we could have, like we could go into here. Yeah. Um, but I feel like if I start to go down the rabbit holes, it'll be another 30 to 45 minutes worth yeah. of conversation. Yeah. So I'm more than open to that. I would love to do it. Like I said, this was very delightful. You two know what the fuck you're talking about. Most people don't. And Thank you. <laughs> I, re I really appreciate, I appreciate that. 
uh, otherwise like it's not as interesting and the depth isn't there and right. I think like people people need depth you know on this stuff it's like so when you dig in and you ask me how we're doing this stuff like look honestly I have no idea if what we're doing is going to work all I know <laughs> is it's working right now <laughs> you know and it will change <laughs> in the future but I'm pretty sure that some of these things have been iterated enough that they're going to keep working for us right so right. Yeah. well it's such it's such a like it's so interesting to really talk about the nitty gritty of what this looks like for you and the team on a day-to-day -day basis, or like you said, like at a, a feature by feature basis. Um, so thank you for being so willing to like really dive into that. Super mm -hmm. interesting. Yeah. Um, there's, you know, I had wanted to ask this question, you know, for people who want to implement something we've talked about, what action would you recommend they take? But that feels almost silly because we've covered so many different areas, whether it's, you know, prototyping a feature or oh. a, or like consolidating and centralizing research or like staffing your, or planning for your team growth. Um, I don't even really know how to go about like shaping that question. So you're welcome to dive in if you've got a I'll, I'll, drop, I'll, I'll drop, I'll drop one nugget uh, that might be useful. Um, <laughs> the number one thing that I think anyone can do that they're not doing today is go out there on the web and start doing competitive research to see what customers think about alternatives to your product or your business. I don't mm -hmm. care if you're a coffee shop. I don't care if you're building a little niche SaaS tool. There are products out there that are reviewed by your potential customers or your type of customer or the type of person you're going after that you should be looking at. Uh, like I said, don't care if you're a coffee shop, don't care if you're a software product. This is like the number one thing that anyone can do. You don't have to talk to anyone. You just have to sit on the internet for a little bit, which all of us do anyway, and, and just start organizing that information. And the amount of insights you can get just doing that, as long as you have the idea of, it's not about my competitors, it's about my potential customers or my current mm -hmm. customers, that's all the lens you need. Because then you're listening to what they have to say about these alternatives to what you're doing in your business. That's mm -hmm. the tip I got. That, that one anyone can do now. That qualifier you threw in there, I think was very important that that research is not about like, oh, what are the features that this direct competitor has? It's, it's about what, are, what is the market that you're trying to build for? What are they saying and what are they thinking and what are they feeling and what are, they, what are the pain points that exist there? So I'm, I'm really glad you, you well, yeah. I need to do that or people will get me wrong, right? Like, and so it's more about the case studies not the features page, for example, right. Right? right? Like listen to all the case studies. In fact, like I'd tear the case studies down if I had a direct competitor and literally figure out why the heck people love the product. Because obviously they're biased. That being said, they're case studies from companies saying we like this thing, right? Right. That's huge. You know, and sometimes if you're like really listening, you'll figure out why they don't like it. <laughs> so, right, right. Yeah. If, you can, if you can master that skill of like learning to not, not, make up your own answer, but kind of read between the lines a little exactly. bit. Exactly. That's right. Review mining too. Um, I mean, it, oh, it, yeah. not as in depth, but you can do so, so much in review mining. And there's so many available now, like, like me yeah. too, just like silver platter of information and, and like market research and, and voice of customer. And like, there's just so much there. I mean, it's an unpopular opinion, right? Like do competitive Intel, like nobody wants to do competitive Intel. And so many founders are like, no, it doesn't matter. Like purpose, purposeful blinders. Um, but yeah, no, that no is everything. Yeah. All right. 
again, I, I just, I want to thank you so much for a really fascinating discussion. Um, Likewise. Have a great rest of your day thank and you. talk soon.